Hello, hello, can you hear me? You guys hear me back there? All right, good deal. Um, it's been a while since I've been here, a few weeks or several weeks, and um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's John Littleford. I'm a friend of Keith and Jamie's, and sometimes they need a break <laughs> for all they do every Sunday, and sometimes more than one Sunday they need a break. So anyway, Keith needs a break today from preaching, and so I decided to help help him out, fill in, and uh, just hope that you'll get your hearts will be penetrated and pricked uh, with the message of truth today as we, as I go into a passage here that's familiar to a lot of people, all right? So let me just start at this with a brief story of something that happened to me this week that's on topic here. Uh, early, earlier this week, I lost my car keys. Again, I lost them. And after looking in the most common places that I would most likely put my keys, my wife and I tried to, to mentally backtrack where I had been. When did I last see them? What clothing had I wore? I simply couldn't remember everything. And so I finally, in desperation, started going through my closet again. I checked a pair of my shorts, short pants, that I had hung back up in my closet that I had forgotten about because I normally don't wear them. And guess what? I found them. That's where they were. And I just can't tell you how darn happy I was. <laughs> I was relieved to find my keys again. You know, it's like the, my, my world order had been restored, right? <laughs> I, got, I got that out of my head. So anyway, um, today's message is on losing things. But I've, I've entitled today's message, Rule Breakers and rule keepers, okay, so rule breakers and rule keepers. So let's start by reading, you guys listen, I'll read a familiar passage of scripture known to many that honestly illustrates something lost and found. Or maybe more important, someone lost and found. So I will read from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. This chapter gives us three parables or what we call short stories of things lost and then found. So please try to listen up. The parable of the lost sheep is the first one. So now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. Second parable, the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, 
rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus loved to tell parables, stories, to illustrate an important truth or spiritual principle. So in these two short stories that I just read that Jesus told, one thing is very clear. Our Heavenly Father and the heavenly host of angels and saints gets very excited and spreads the news about a person who has lost their way in life but chooses to respond to the heart of a pursuing God and come back to Him and re-engage in relationship with Him. In short story number one, there's a hundred sheep. One gets lost. So in other words, 99% of the sheep are still present. Now personally, I'm thinking those odds are pretty good. If you only lose one, right, out of 100, it would be easy to say, well, losing one or two along the way isn't so bad. But no, not our Heavenly Father. His heart yearns for the one that got away, the one that lost its way. And when the one lost out of the 100 finds his way back home, there is a heavenly party, so to speak, of the one who returns home. In short story number two that I just read, a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. She searches desperately all over her house, like I did my keys, and then finds it. She's elated, she's over the top excited over that one coin that was found, not the other nine, that we're in the safekeeping. She tells all her friends and family, I found my lost coin. I found it. This is the type of excitement and party atmosphere of heaven when a person who needs Jesus decides to follow him. And so now we're going to go back or go to a short story number three. It's a well-known story of the parable of Jesus told in the Bible. Folks, it's one thing to lose a possession of ours and find it. It's another thing to lose money and then find it. Those are both good examples of things lost and found that we can relate to at some level. But Jesus, in story three that I'm about to read, goes deeper into the heart of our Heavenly Father to illustrate the incredibly deep and immeasurable love our Heavenly Father has for those of His children that go astray and wander off from Him but come back. This story shows a father who is willing to throw a huge party for something or someone that he has lost. And so today we're going to go back and look at the story of things that have been lost and then found, we're going to examine this last story about the most serious thing that can be lost. And what would that be? Our souls, our hearts. The most important thing you can lose is a relationship with the Heavenly Father. So let me say that again. The most important thing you can lose is a relationship with the Heavenly Father. So today, I hope you're listening. 
Because if today you are lost, I want you to know that there's someone looking for you and pursuing you, and you can be found. So let's read parable or story number three. Not long, or Jesus continued, sorry. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son, the older brother of the rule-breaking son, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Sorry about that. So, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, after all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and is found. So you see, folks, here we have something much larger at stake 
than a possession or a decent amount of money. We have a son who no longer wants to be a part of the family and simply wants to leave home and go out and try living on his own. He wanted his inheritance early in life than he was supposed to get. Now, when does a person normally receive inheritance? When the parents, or in this story, the father dies. So when the younger son asked for an early inheritance, it was as if he was saying to his father, you are dead to me, give me what I want. I want your stuff, dad, but I don't want you. I basically wish you were dead so I can go on and live the life I want to. My relationship, Pops, is a mean to an end. Give me my stuff and let me go. That's basically what the rule-breaking younger son had in his heart toward his father. Back in the Bible days, what any normal father would have done is simply and honestly what most of us would feel like doing. He would have thrown his son out of the house, and it would not have been pretty. I mean, after all, that would seem fair, wouldn't it? Here's a spoiled little bratty son who's demanding his inheritance before he's even entitled to it. Back in Jesus' time, the father would have been expected to physically and violently kick his son out. But this father did not do that. The scripture tells us that this father divided the property in two. And for the father, that meant selling part of his property to give the younger son what he wanted. It was a huge and very inconvenient request the younger, rule-breaking son was placing on his father. It meant the father giving up a huge part of himself. Because to own land back then was a huge part of a man's identity and who he was. It was a part of his standing in the community. But this father did not fight his son nor shame him for asking such a thing. The father simply let his son go off on his own. Folks, we have a heavenly father who does not violate our will. He lets us decide things. He gives us incredible freedom to make choices, and some of them are very bad, if we want. He does not hold us against our will and make us do anything. This father in our story today lets his rule-breaking son go completely off on his own and treat the father as dead. This father chooses to endure the painful agony of loving his son and being totally rejected. So as we read a few moments ago, this son went off to a distant land and partied, lived wildly, spent everything he had. He blew it all. After he blew it all, he even took a job taking care of pigs. But even that wasn't enough to feed him because the distant land he was in had a famine and there was horrible food shortage. So this careless inheritance, squandering son who acted foolishly came to his senses. He had this great idea of earning his way back into good graces of his father by humbling himself, admitting the wrongs of his ways. He planned to earn his way 
back in the family by declaring himself a servant, though he could work his way back up into being a son. But the father would have nothing of it. The father, who was treated as if he were dead by the son, the father who sacrificed his land and estate, basically all that, all that was significant about himself, the father who was only wanted because of the stuff he could give his son, did not do what most fathers do. And as the son made his way back home, the Bible tells us this. So he got up and went home to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, the father was not about having his son earn his way back. His love for him was such that he declared the younger son, the younger brother, and went to, he declared him his son all over again and went on to the huge expense and effort to throw a huge party, a celebration. Why? Because a son who gave up his sonship in the family and was practically dead from the family standpoint, had come back home and brought back into the family by an incredible, gracious, forgiving, kind, overly generous and grace-filled dad who was falling over himself with the joy at the return of his wayward son. This son was lost and now is found. But you see, the story does not end there. Because there's another brother in the story. Let's call him the rule keeper. You see, rule keepers can have attitude problems as well. <laughs> rule keepers can need the guidance of a loving father just as much as the rule breakers. Rule keepers put their hope in their obedience and following rules. So let's read again what the story tells us. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he calls one of the servants and asks him, what's going on? Your brothers come home, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, he has him back safe and sound. So the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. You see, the older brother wanted the father's stuff too. And his way to obtain the stuff was by following rules. 
But see, there's a bigger problem here. The older, rule-keeping son didn't really see his father for who he was. When his father came outside and pleaded with him to join the party of his younger brother, he wouldn't even address him as father. Nor did he even address the younger brother as his brother. The rule-keeping brother did not see himself as the older, respectful, example-making brother or son. The older son saw himself as a slave, following orders from a slave master, when in fact he had the right, he had all the rights and privileges of the older son. You see, in some ways, the older brother was more lost than his younger brother. In this story, we see a change of heart with the rule-keeping, or excuse me, the rule-breaking. Excuse me, I'm sorry. In the story, we never see a change of heart with the rule-keeping brother or son. Yet with the younger rule-breaking son, we see a change of heart filled with humility and understanding of his wrongdoing and his sinful, broken heart. Now, I don't know which one you identify with more than the other. Are you a rule keeper or a rule breaker? If I'm honest with myself, I can easily fall into both. By nature, I'm more of a rule breaker. I like to take chances and sometimes act as though the rules of life don't apply to me. Which is, quite frankly, why I spent two nights in jail in my younger years. See, I'd rather ask forgiveness than permission to do something. Except when I want the rules to benefit me. You see, when other people break rules and it somehow affects me in a negative way, then I'm all about the rules and holding other people accountable. <laughs> in other words, rules are meant to be broken when I want and rules are meant to be followed when I want. And honestly, that's being a hypocrite. Sometimes I'm guilty of that. My guess is that some of you can identify with it as well. But who is the real story? Excuse me, who is the real hero of this story? Who is the one we need to look to whether or not you're a rule keeper or a rule breaker? Who is the character in this story that we want to be associated with the most? Who is the character in this story that is going to give us exactly what we need in our lostness? The Father. In our story, we see a compassionate father who sees his wayward younger son on his way home and runs out to show him love, forgiveness, acceptance, and restores him to the family. I get the sense that this father was ready at a moment's notice for his son to come back home. It's as though the father always had his eyes looking out on the horizon, awaiting the return of his son. It's as though he were sitting on the front porch in his chair, ready to spring up the moment he saw even a glimpse of his son coming. We also see a loving father pleading with his older rule-keeping son to come and join celebration for the younger son. We see a father who assures his older son that he loves him too. We see this when the older son is complaining about not having a party for him, for keeping all the rules. And the father says, my son, 
you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Our Heavenly Father is very, very slow to anger. His love is immeasurable. He loves it when a child of his who has lost his or way comes back home. And he loves it when those who have never joined his family decide they want to begin a relationship with him. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, 1, that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Our God has wiped your slate clean no matter what you have done. He offers forgiveness if you'll accept it. He offers you a place at the family table if you have the courage to sit down and take your seat. The Bible tells us this in Psalm 103. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Jesse's going to come and close us out in prayer. Father, we, um, we just want to thank you today for the truth of the gospel. Father, we want to thank you today that you uh, offer grace for those who deserve it as well as for those who don't deserve it. Um, and I don't think there's any of us that really deserve it. Um, Father, we, uh, we just want to just rejoice in the fact that you would just extend mercy to all of us. God, you extend abundant grace to all of us. You extend provision to all of us. Um, and as we move into this time of, of, of distributing those provisions, God, would you just help us to be mindful of, of the grace that John has talked about, God, that we have all been those prodigal sons. We've all been the people that have wandered away. Some of us perhaps are those people today. Some of us perhaps are people that are, are just in need of the, the abundance that you offer, both, um, uh, both uh, uh, in, in spiritually and physically. And God, we just pray that you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear today. And God, give us thankful hearts for what you offer us. Uh, in your name we pray, amen. You guys hang tight. We're going to, um, Mitzi's going to be calling out uh, the first letter of your last name. So when you hear that, uh, just uh, jump in line. Thanks.